Tonight, we're talking about why the Fed's move to skip an interest rate hike isn't the real story or maybe the whole story. You're listening to Simply Money presented by Allworth Financial. I'm Amy Wagner along with Steve Sprovec. We have a very special treat for you on a Thursday night. As you know, our chief investment officer, Andy Stout, always joins us on Mondays. But, you know, yesterday was kind of a big day. And so Andy is joining us today to help us make sense of what the Federal Reserve did yesterday a little bit of I don't know if you would say mixed messaging. I don't I, I don't know. How do you characterize it, Andy? I would say the message was pretty clear from the Federal Reserve. Okay. They are going to continue to be aggressive in their fight to quell inflation even though they did not hike rates. The uh, the, the the messaging from a press conference from what's called the dot plot, and I'm sure we'll get into that in a minute. Mm-hmm. It all suggested that the Fed is not close to finishing their fight. Well, and and obviously they don't think we're done with inflation because yeah, it's come down from over nine percent to around four percent, but they want to see two percent. Um, what I'm wondering, Andy, is is if they're if they came out and said, yeah, we're going to probably have two more rate increases at least uh, in July expect a quarter percent there. Why did they skip June if they know they're going to raise rates? The skipping of June was more about slowing down the pace of rate hikes. That's something uh, Fed Chair Powell really highlighted in that he wanted to slow down the pace and really focus on getting to a level and likely holding at that level uh, for a, a period of time. So keeping rates higher for longer to bring down inflation. Now, the market's not quite buying what the Fed is selling. And I would say what the Fed was doing yesterday and Jerome Powell uh, specifically, I would call it more jawboning the market, if you will, to convince them that they're going to keep rates high to bring down inflation. Because if they come out and talk about bringing rates down or cutting rates, that's immediately going to result in easing monetary conditions, which would Uh, possibly make it uh, even more difficult to get inflation under control, possibly reversing course. You know, Annie, it's funny because we have been saying that on the show for months, right? I mean, the markets and their other economists and things like that have been saying, okay, but but when in 23 are they going to start cutting rates? And I think Chair of Powell has been really, really clear about this. Hey, not in 23, not in 23, every way that he could possibly say it. And, and we kept saying it too. Like the data that we're seeing, it doesn't make any sense to, to cut rates necessarily this year. Yet the markets really turned a deaf ear on it. Is it yesterday? Did that message finally get out loud and clear? A little bit. I wouldn't say loud and clear. So if you look at, yeah, (laughs) clearish. So (laughs) when you look at what the market's pricing in, and we can see that by looking at what's called Fed Fund Futures, which is uh, basically investment securities that trade at levels, suggesting where the the Federal Reserve will have the Fed funds rate at different meetings. So you can see if the market's expecting hikes or if it's expecting cuts. Right now, it's still uh, pricing in a cut uh, really later on this year in the December or early January period of uh, 2024. The market's only pricing in one more hike. And even though the Fed said, look, they're looking for two hikes, and Powell even said they're not even thinking about cuts for a couple of years. It's not yeah. even on the horizon. So, so he's saying not even next year at this point. Yeah. Rate cut. Yeah, but again, I think that's the I think that's the job owning. He has to talk up a tough Fed. He, I mean, that's part uh, yeah. of it. I, I I get that, but you know, if the chairman of the Federal Reserve says they're not going to cut rates, 
and the chairman of the Federal Reserve controls when those rates are cut. Why doesn't Wall Street believe them? Because we believe, we being the proverbial Wall Street, uh, what these analysts and, and what the economists think, they think that what's going to happen when the Fed keeps rates high, that's going to essentially slow down the economy and bringing inflation down in the yeah. process. And it's going to slow it down so much that the economy might fall into a recession. And that's when the Fed would have cut rates. So Powell has to say this. He has so, no choice but to so say you, this. So you think this is about investor confidence more than what he's actually going to do. Is that fair? I wouldn't say investor confidence. I would say it's more about keeping inflation expectations under okay. control. Gotcha. You're listening to Simply Money tonight here on 55KRC, presented by All Worth Financial as Andy Stout, our chief investment officer, joins us on a day he doesn't normally join us with big news, right, to talk about what the Federal Reserve did yesterday to help us make sense of that. You know, Andy, obviously the goal here of the Federal Reserve has always been to bring inflation under control, hence these rate hikes. But there is some data out there that's suggesting, you know, stronger GDP and, you know, inflation still strong, strong employment. The labor market has in many cases seemed impervious to what they're doing. So how do you bring down inflation if so many factors continue to seem to be working against the Fed? Well, some are working against the Fed, but there are cracks emerging, which yeah. should bring down inflation and allow the Fed to pause and slow down. And I think we probably, at least at this point, we do get one more rate hike uh, at the next meeting in late July. But when you look at the underlying data, I mean, we did see the unemployment rate jump up uh, from 34 to 3.7% last month. Uh, if we look at initial jobless claims, which are people filing for first-time unemployment benefits, they've jumped up too. Uh, the last couple of weeks, we've seen the, the highest readings in a, a couple of years. So that will flow into the broader job market when we're thinking about where the unemployment rate might be by the year end. I know when we look at the Federal Reserve specifically, they, and this was uh, yesterday, they put out their what's called their quarterly uh, economic projections, and they think the unemployment rate will be at 4.1% by the end of the year. Now, admittedly, that's lower than what they thought in March. They thought it was going to be 4.5% yeah. in March, so, but still higher than where we're at right now at that 3.7. So they think it's going to deteriorate a little bit. And 4.1, let's just be clear, it's still a very low number by any historical measurement. Well, well, it is, and, and that, that's what I'm wondering. I, I mean, the whole concept is slowing down the economy through higher interest rates, and a slower economy is going to mean fewer jobs, higher unemployment, and that's the bad, you know, that's the bad news part of what the Fed is doing. Yet we're still seeing wage growth. We're, we're still seeing a strong jobs market. I mean, can you have inflation come down to 2% and still have a strong labor market? Can you? Yes. Will you? Probably not. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, I mean, mean, this is almost unprecedented to see that, right? Yeah. So what you're talking about is the soft landing you hear a lot about, yeah. which mm -hmm. is basically where the Fed is able to get inflation under control without pushing us into a recession. The Fed has not had a very good track record of actually doing that. So I wouldn't be surprised if they do uh, what they've done in the past, which is hike us into yeah. a recession. Now, when that recession comes, I mean, that's, that's tough to say, Steve and Amy. When you look at what the economists had expected, go back to last November. Economists expected a recession to have begun in January. It hasn't yeah. happened. Economists currently expect their recession to begin uh, in the second half of this year, specifically in the third quarter, which you know starts in just a few weeks. 
So will it happen? I mean, there's the data still, it's, it's still hanging in there. I mean, we had some decent retail sale numbers come out this morning, suggesting consumers are still spending. Uh, but I mean, again, I mean, we are seeing some cracks in the job market. You know, we're seeing some weakness in uh, consumer sentiment. And I, I do think that this will weigh on the economy when we fall into a recession, because we will. I mean, it's just part of the normal business cycle. You know, time will tell on that one. Okay, Andy, for those that don't know you on a personal level, like like Steve and I do, you are as mild-mannered as you sound, as you come across on the show, without a doubt. So it kind of surprised me a couple of years ago when you came out pretty strong against uh, Fed Chair Powell, their actions. Uh, you spoke up pretty candidly about the fact that you thought he had made some mistakes and things that he said and in some of the Too actions. slow to do anything. Yes. So here's my question for you. Because I know you're going to be so honest about this, I'm really interested to hear what do you, we're a year into this cycle, over a year into the cycle of rate hikes. If you were to give the Federal Reserve, our nation's central bank, a grade on how they've done so far to this point, as we are at the point now of a pause, what's the grade that you give and why? I would give them a B. I mean, based on, I mean, All hindsight's right. twenty twenty. When you look at the data that was available at the time, I think the Fed probably did make the right decisions at the time. Now, hindsight's twenty twenty; They should have done something different. But knowing how everything will evolve, I mean, there's so many intricacies in the financial plumbing and how things all go together in, in terms of, you know, the transitory uh, inflation that was thought mm. because of COVID. I mean, they were faced with COVID, right? and what the implications are for the economy. That's something that no Federal Reserve has had to deal with that, where the government just globally really just shut down all economies across the world. You you can't really model that financially. So knowing what they knew at the time, I think they probably were making the right decisions. I don't really have much of a, a, a problem with that. Hindsight, obviously, they could have done things differently. Okay, you you mentioned the dot plot a little bit earlier, and and for those that aren't familiar with the term, it's base. It's pretty much where the other Fed members can literally put a dot on a chart that is their opinion of where interest rates need to go, and they do it anonymously. There are no names attached to it. It looked like a shotgun blast this time around. I mean, there there was a lot of differences of opinion, which is not normally. I mean, you might have one or two outliers, but this time around. There's a lot of different opinions on where rates need to go. Does that concern you? Well, I don't think it was really much different than prior dot plots, just to be to be honest. But what we saw on the dot plot was a big move upward. So while the yeah. Fed didn't do anything in interest rates, their prior dot plot, which again shows where the Fed members think rates should be at the end of upcoming calendar years. And what we like to specifically look, like, look at is what's called the median dot or is the middle one. And that kind of gives you an idea of what the Fed is thinking in terms mm-hmm. of where the uh, they might put interest rates. If you go back to the March update, they had for the end of the calendar year this year, the federal funds rate at 5.1%, which is basically where we're at right now, the right. middle of the 5 to 5.25% range. It's been lifted up. And right now, it's up by half a point. That was a much bigger increase than anyone expected. Most were expecting really just a quarter point increase on that dot plot. So when you think about it from that perspective, that's where the what's called hawkishness from the Fed came through the most. So looking at that dot plot shows that the Fed being hawkish and what that means is they're really 
very, very concerned about fighting inflation and they're not going to give up. And that's their number one goal right now. They're less concerned about the economy slowing down. So that was a big jump. Now, the reason it was such a big jump most likely is because you are starting to hear dissenting voices among the Fed, mm-hmm. where some people think we should pause and for longer and rates are good. We need to see how the data comes in because of monetary policy lags. But the hawks, the people who are really wanting to raise rates, they're getting louder and louder, and they seem to be more and more of them. Mm. So because of that, uh, you're seeing that lift up. Now, pull, putting this all together, why was it such a big lift, even from the people who are not as hawkish? Well, <clears throat> the speculation is that the Fed could have easily seen some dissenting votes among them. So this was kind of like a, uh, a olive branch to the hawks, like, hey, we'll lift up the median dots if you stay unanimous on holding rates where gotcha. they're at. And, and that's such a big deal because they've been unanimous since, what, 2005? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. There hasn't been uh, a much dissension at all uh, recently here. So it's going to be really that's interesting when, when we get to the end of July. That next meeting, as uh, Fed Chair did say, that that meeting is a live meeting, which means anything can go. Interesting. Well, we'll be looking forward to that. Andy, I give you all the credit in the world. I give credit where credit is due. And the Wall Street muckety mucks have not always been right. And I know that no one has a crystal ball on this, but you have been pretty spot on about saying, hey, this is where I think the Fed's going next. And we very much appreciate your perspective on all this. Here's the all worth advice. There's still work to be done to get inflation down to that 2%, that goal mark. That likely means more volatility. So just keep your focus on the long term. Don't make any financial moves based on emotion or the headlines of that day. Coming up, did we just enter a bull market? How to react if we're there? You're listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC, the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money, presented by Allworth Financial. I'm Amy Wagner, along with Steve Sprovec. If you can't catch our show every night, you don't have to miss a thing because we've got a daily podcast for you. You can listen to it anytime. Just search Simply Money. It's on the iHeart app or wherever you get your podcasts. If you think maybe you're on the right track to retirement, what you might be missing, this is key, it's ahead at 643. Okay, so when you have looked at your 401k over the past year, and I have said don't look at it daily because you'll make yourself crazy, it's been all over. Over the place, right? We have had a (laughs) volatile, turbulent roller coaster. You pick, you pick the word you want to use here, but it has been quite a year in the market. So, if I were to tell you that we are now in a bull market territory, you might think I'm a crazy person, but I'm actually. Well, we think that anyway. Well, at least not um, in this case. (laughs) Well, you know, but but what's a bull market? The market's up twenty percent. Guess what? The market's up from its bottom back in October. The market's up twenty percent. Why don't you feel good about it? Well, um, when it goes down 20% like it did in 2022, when you look at it being up 20% now, you're back to where you actually, you're not even quite back to where you were before because it takes more than a 20% increase to make up for a 20% loss. So nobody's feeling great about, wow, this is a great bull market and uh, happy days are here again. There's still a lot of questions on the horizon, whether you're looking at the banking industry, whether you're looking at the Federal Reserve direction, the economy in general. But we are up 20 percent. Technically, that's a bull market. Well, and, and I think this the message about 
markets and these cycles is for those of you who got spooked over the past year and you checked your 401k at one point and you said, I'm going to, I'm going to totally switch the way that this is invested. I'm going to yeah. pull some money out. I'm going to go to cash. I'm going to get far less conservative. I'm not going to um, throw more good money after bad. I exactly. Love that yeah. Exactly. Right. And, and, and Andy Stell just mentioned in our last segment, we were talking, he said, you know, a, a bull market is, is always coming, right? A recession is always yeah. coming. It yeah. is, both are normal parts of a very normal business cycle. The, the part that that we don't like, of course, is the bear market, the downturn. Um, but bull markets are, are always coming. And then if you go back to 1949, right, historically look back on how many of these markets we've had, well, 11 bull markets and 11 bear markets. So then it's like, well, that's a toss of a coin. Why would I do that? Then you look at the length, right, of those markets. Yeah. Bull markets on average last five and a half years. Bear markets, a little more than a year. So when you when you put that all together, you know, on a on a long timeline, you're like, wow. I mean, markets are up far more than they're down. But you don't remember it that way. That's the weird part. Oh, you, you only know, remember the bad parts. Well, it's it's not just the market going down and your 401k balance going down. There's a lot of headlines, and man, you can't get away from the bad headlines in in a bear market, in a down market, because they're not only, you know, forget newspapers and all that stuff. Every time you turn on TV, every time you go on the Internet, it's doom and gloom. And that just, man, that will drag you down, and you remember the negative comments way more and for a lot longer period than you do the positive comments. But that's the way it works. You're, yeah. you're absolutely right. And, and, you know, here's here's the thing, Amy. If you buy into markets always recover, why would you even think that way? Because they always have. Yeah. You know, we're batting. You know, I'm a baseball guy. Um, we're batting a thousand. OK, we have never seen markets not recover. Even when you go into the Depression after 1929, they have always recovered. So unless the next bear market, the next down market is the very first time in history markets don't recover, you've got to assume you're going to be okay. And that's where the rub is, because if you make an emotional decision and just bail to keep from the proverbial throwing good money after bad, now you got to get back in. And I can't think of anybody that got out at the end of 2021 and avoided 2022 and, and said, hey, I here's the bottom. I'm back in 100 percent. It's just that the lights don't turn green all at once. There's mm -hmm. always a question. Well, and, you know, I'm a huge Warren Buffett fangirl. And this is one of my favorite quotes, though. But he says, you should be greedy when others are fearful and fearful yeah. when others are greedy. You, you know, you and I are having conversations all the time off the air. And I remember, um, I, I think in 2020, right, when the when the pandemic was first coming in markets and we were both like, mm -hmm. we're putting money in, you know. Yeah, oh, and yeah. then like last year, yeah. you know, early last year, markets were way down. We're putting money in, you know, and, and, and yeah. not because we're brilliant people. I like to think that we are. But more than that, we've just seen how this works. You know, you're yeah. buying things on sale. Yet for whatever reason, we don't many people don't look at that when it comes to investing in the markets. And I think, OK, so if now we are in this place where I don't know, maybe we're getting a little bit of a breather, I would say now is the time when you build your boat, your financial boat, right? Take stock of where you are. Uh, you mm -hmm. know, do you need to rebalance? Are, are you sleeping OK at night? Were you sleeping OK at night over the past year when things are all over the place? Don't build that boat during a storm. But if there's a breather now, now it's time to take a look at things. Yeah, I, I agree. And don't forget bonds. And I don't want to go into a long winded discussion, but Bonds got beaten up really bad in 2022 because interest rates went up. 
Well, guess what? When interest rates come down, bonds go back up in value and the interest rates will come back down at some point. So just remember, there is the potential for money to be made in the bond market also. Here's the all-worth advice. Stay invested during bear markets, and then you can reap the rewards of bull markets, which, as we've said, last much longer. Okay, so is changing careers a life-or-death situation? Is it something that maybe you could pull off? We're going to take some of the fear away from that next with our expert. You're listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC, the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money, presented by Allworth Financial. I'm Amy Wagner, along with Steve Sprovac. I am an open book. We all know that. I, I share everything that's going on in my life with my kids and my family. And so I was really open when last year my husband and I bought some businesses. Uh, and then I decided to uh, get a little more involved in running them. And I thought it was going to be a great idea because I love managing people. I like leading people. I, I, so I thought this is going to be a great transition. What can go wrong? Right? <laughs> what could possibly yeah. go wrong? <laughs> Until I jumped in and then I realized everything is wrong about this. And I felt like this failure. I felt like I'm trying, you know, I should be good at this and I'm not. And, and, and I was all in and, and now it's not working out. So joining us tonight to make sense of this is our good friend, Julie Bauke from the Bauke Group. Julie on the job knows things all things when it comes to careers. Um, and, and Julie is actually one of the people that I turned to during this time. And one of the first things that you and I said was, I said, you know, when I said, I feel like such a failure and I tried something and it didn't work and, and it's so overwhelming. You said, why don't we normalize this? You know, why don't we make it normal yeah. that people try things and some of them work and some of them don't, but we can pivot mid career and it doesn't have to be scary. You know, the first thing we have to do, especially depending on your age and also depending on what advice you're giving, you're getting from maybe your boomer parents or grandparents, is let's let go of the idea, the old idea that you find a job and you hang on for dear life as long as you can. And that's the right way to do it. It is the wrong way to do it on so many levels. And it's not, and let me back up. I don't mean that's wrong for everybody. Yeah, But it's not the only way to approach your career. And I have found personally and through others that the best way to – one of the best ways to find out what you're good at is is dare to be not so great at something. And it's like that's a, that's a point of learning. Like I always think about how I learned to be a leader. I learned more from the worst boss I ever had than I did from the best boss I've ever had. Absolutely. And so why are we looking at just because you found out that there are certain, that there are certain types of or certain roles in managing people that you, you don't like and, or you're not good at all that is Amy is a data point. Yeah. Well, I, I'm with you a hundred percent, Julie, because I, I, I think you can learn both from failure of others as well as your own failures. I, I think you learn more from that because you retain that knowledge. You, you, you don't forget when, when you screwed up or when things didn't work out that way and, and you promise yourself, I'm not going to let that happen again. But don't, I mean, one of the things that I've seen, and I, I saw a very close friend jump both feet into a new business that she didn't know anything about from a, a very good salaried position um, and take, a lot of money out of investments and 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 the <laughs> bank to go into a new business that she had never done before. I, I mean that that's yeah. something that you've <laughs> got to watch out for, don't you think? I, I mean, you've got to have Absolutely. a plan yeah. and ease into it. Absolutely. 
Yeah. And you know, there, there's, so there's a lot, there's, there's a lot between just jumping into something without any reflection, any self-awareness, any backup yeah. plan, any thought, any building relationships with people who can help guide you. That's just, that's just foolish, unfortunately. And a lot of us, you know, have had that experience, but then we learn from it and say, okay, what do I now know about myself that I didn't know about myself before? And certainly like when I talk to people who are doing a, let's say a regular job where they have full-time, uh, full-time hours, full-time benefits, a typical corporate job, and they really want to jump off and do something maybe wildly different. They want yeah. to start something. They want to become self-employed. There are, there are all kinds of things you can do to figure out so that you are mitigating the risk when you do jump. So you're moving forward with knowledge, with a plan, with support, with resources, with all the things that are going to help make you successful. So when you jump May- from one, yeah, well, jumping and from maybe one a safety thing to net. another, yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. And that's, I think it's, it's, so, you know, it, it's pretty well known from people who started their own thing that however long you think it's going to take, double it. Um, because <laughs> even sometimes our most optimistic projections are, never come to be. And now we're stuck. And so it's unless you have, unless you have the, the runway, the money, the whatever, to really just get out there and start at the bottom and figure it out, which most of us don't, you have to start building toward what your next best thing is. And in my opinion, it has to start with self-awareness. You know, what, what am I good at? What do I like to do? What have I liked in my last job? You know, what do I, and, and, and unfortunately, Amy talked, in Amy's situation, she said, you know, I really thought I was going to like this. And I got into it and realized not only do I not like it, but I'm not good at it. Huh. Could there, if Amy, if I was talking to Amy prior to when she made that jump, there are probably some things that I could have asked her or given her insight around or sent her in search of that would have allowed her, let's say, to put her toe in the water and maybe figure out she didn't like it before she was fully submerged. Why do we not have this conversation before, right? No, it's so, yeah, it's so yeah, true. Amy. I know, I know. The answer so to we're learning is from Amy's culturally. failures. That's what I'm hearing. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm happy to put him out there. One of the things that Julie and I talked about was, you know, my dad, Gary Wagner, he retired from the same company where he interned. I mean, and, and to your point, the boomer generation, that is exactly what the norm was. So I, I've talked to other people, though, not even just recently, but, you know, just friends over the past few years that are very much mid-career, you know, in some of their highest earning years, um, and but they're just not fulfilled. They're not loving what they no. do. And the thing, the thing that always holds them back is, but what else could I do? And one of the right. things yeah. that you and I did was this very practical um, list, right? What would you, what would you like to do more of? What do you like to do less of? What what are what are absolute like deal breakers? This cannot be any part of my job. And the funny thing was, as, as we're doing this, it's like I love to communicate with people. I love to help people financially. I love to empower them. Well, I'm probably doing a good part of what I should be doing, which was great to find out. But sometimes we don't ever give ourselves the opportunity to just stop and say. No, what do I really enjoy doing? So can you just give us some of the practical steps for anyone feeling stuck on how to get started here? 
Yeah, you know, the, the let's say that you've spent uh, 20 years selling office furniture. Mm-hmm. And when you look at your list, your catalog of who you are, there are, there's what you know. And so in this case, with this person, she knows office furniture. Great. But she also, those are her nouns. She knows the customers who buy office furniture, and she knows a lot about office furniture. So the problem is most people in that situation, in this example, she would have said to herself, well, who else is going to hire somebody who sells office furniture? So what she's doing here is giving herself, not giving herself credit for the full range of what she knows. So she knows office furniture. She knows people who buy office furniture. She also knows how to sell. She, She knows how to manage accounts. She knows how to, if she's been through the last few years, she knows how to manage a, a downturn, you know, in the market, let's say. Yeah. She knows how to make customers happy. She knows. And so we, we get really stuck on our nouns, I'll call it. And we don't realize that so much of what we do is transferable. No, I mean, if you're, if you're now interviewing for, at a food company, they don't care about your office furniture knowledge. What they care about is all the other stuff. Yeah. How did you go about your job? What relationships did you build? And so you've got to separate out your nouns and your verbs. So what are the things that you do, you've been complimented for, things you do well, what do you enjoy doing? And as you alluded to, it's that um, more of, less of, never again. What mm-hmm. do I want to do more of? If I Look back. And so I say, look back over your whole career, not just your last job. What are the things that you've done? In those jobs that you felt really powerful, you felt confident, you got complimented on, you really enjoyed, and pull them from all your jobs, not just your last job. And if you come up with eight to ten things that you say, you know what, I'd like to do as much or more of this, that is an amazing, really powerful start to having those conversations. But it's equally important that you do the other side, which is what do I never want to do again? And part of it might be I never want to be on call. Like in your career, Amy, when you were in TV, yep. you were called to these scenes where you had to show up and it might be you had your kids' activities going on. It might be in the middle of the night and you did it because it was a part of your job, but it's okay to say, I did it. Yeah. I never want to do it never again. Never again, and please. So it's putting a stake, <laughs> right? Exactly. It's, it's putting a stake in the ground. Yeah. 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 And, and you've got to be willing to do that. Julie, quickly, how can stuck. people how can people get a hold of you? If there's anyone like listening, they're like, yes, this me. How how do I how do I figure out this mid career pivot? How do I, you know if you're saying it's normal? How do I get there? How do they find you? Uh, we are on at thebalkygroup.com. We're in the middle of launching our new website, so hopefully that will go off without a hitch, but it rarely does. Um, <laughs> but yeah, there's we actually uh, offer coaching around we our new coaching option that if you go there and it's not up yet, we are actually offering a new coaching program where we help you with just that, figuring out what your next step is, resume, LinkedIn profile um, that you can execute on whenever you're ready. But it's really just getting you focused in the right area, becoming self-aware. How do you talk about yourself? Uh, It's a really powerful process because I noticed that when you and I did it, you even sat up straighter and said, well, wait a minute, you know, this is me, you know, yeah. this, this is who I am and I'm proud of who I am. But Grateful so many of us are so Julie. deep in the hole. Right. So it's so deep in the hole, they can't pull themselves out. 
Yes, yes. So if you are in this place, Julie is a, is a great resource, thebalkygroup.com. You're listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC, the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money, presented by Allworth Financial. I'm Amy Wagner, along with Steve Sprovac. Straight ahead, we've got the do's and don'ts for those of you who are trying your best to pay off some debt. Okay, so there's a lot of people and a lot of studies out there, and Steve and I, we've talked about it many times on the show, that say your biggest fear uh, in retirement is outliving your money. But there's oh, actually sure. people on the other end of that spectrum who say, oh, I'm going to be great. I am totally good. I am ready for retirement. I've saved. I've done everything I need to. And they're actually off. They're not as yeah. scary as they think they This are. is almost just as bad. I, I mean, I, I, I'm pretty Both interesting. sides of the spectrum are scary, right? Yeah. A pretty interesting study by the Center for Retirement Research at, at Boston College. They're looking at the wealthy people and mm-hmm. rich folks have the opposite problem. Their problem is too rosy. They haven't had to worry about money for most of their adult lives in a lot of cases. And the problem there is they're just not worried enough. They haven't crunched numbers Things will take care of themselves. And the problem is when you're used to a huge amount of income and that stops in retirement, well, maybe you should have put pencil to paper a little bit more. Well, you mentioned a huge amount of income, but what what a lot of people in this situation don't think about is how much are you consuming? How much are you spending exactly. as, as yeah. it's coming in? I remember um, Ed Fink, one of our founders, talking about within the same week, two different women came in, two different clients. Um, one happened to be a Westsider, and uh, mm-hmm. she had a little bit of a pension and modest Social Security coming in. She had money left over every month. The other yeah. one, though, yeah. was this doctor who made just boatloads of money and then also spent boatloads of money and and could hardly keep their head above the water. And so I think for people in this situation, yes, you might have this beautiful six figure, whatever it is, salary. um, But if you don't put the the paper to pencil, uh, pencil to paper and say, but what am I spending? What am I going to need in retirement? You could be really far off. Well, and and some of the assumptions that, um, and it's not just uh, average people that, you know, are are just winging it. I I mean, I'm reading studies. I, I read a study by Pew Research, which is is one of the more reputable research groups out there that uh, use the assumption of you probably need at least 75% of your income during your working years to live on on retirement. Where does that come from, Amy? I, I mean, that is a, a really bad assumption. Yeah. In, in my book, if you don't spend more money the first two years of retirement than what you were spending in your last year of working, you're doing it wrong. I, yeah. I mean, the whole point of retirement is enjoy life. And there's a pretty darn good chance you're going to spend more in retirement because you're going to travel, you're going to do things you've been putting off than you were when you were working and spending 40 hours a week doing something maybe you didn't necessarily want to do, work, but it didn't give you as much time for the travel that you wanted to do in retirement. Well, I've always said that. I've said, okay, on days when I'm working, right, eight to five or whatever it is, uh, you know, I'm not spending money one, but because i yeah, 11 to 1, <laughs> noon to 12.30, whatever you want to look at. But on the days when I'm working, you just don't, you can't spend money. I mean, unless you're spending all of your time on Amazon. But, you know, when you think about weekends, okay, now we're yeah. going places. We're probably maybe eating out. We're, you know, maybe going to a movie or play golf or whatever it is. We're spending more money. Well, that's what retirement is. You're not working yeah. anymore. So I think looking at that with kind of eyes wide open and another reality for this group of people is um, Social Security does not replace 
replace as much of your income as it does for lower and middle class income earners. And so that's not kind of the 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 safety net that it might be for other people. So you got to go into this with eyes wide open. Here's the all worth advice. Make sure you've got a rock solid understanding of how much you plan to spend in retirement so you can build a rock solid portfolio that's going to help get you there. Coming up next, how to keep debt from becoming actual disaster. You're listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC, the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money, presented by Allworth Financial. I'm Amy Wagner, along with Steve Sprovac. Debt, right? I mean, for those who have it, regardless of what stage of your life, it used to be, you know, debt was really common when you're in your 20s, you're getting out of college, you've got that college debt, you're, you know, don't have the income. But studies are showing more and more people, even later in life, taking on more and more debt, whether it's you're taking on student loan debt and all different kinds of yeah. things that never happened before. So I, I'm, we're speaking to everyone here when we're talking about debt, not just a certain group of people, because there's a lot that are dealing with this. The first step, I would say, to getting it under control is the absolute scariest, and it's tallying it up. Well, you can't fix a problem until you confront a problem. Exactly. And I went through this with a family member, and and it was really interesting. I, I had such a hard time getting this person to think in terms of what's the balance? What do you owe on this credit card? What do you owe to this group? Um, and And I kept getting, well, it's $45 a month. No, no, no. What's the total debt? You've got to do that. By the way, one of the things you don't want to do is what the U.S. government does, and and that's take a cash advance to make your minimum payment on your credit cards. Okay, we yeah. we don't we don't want right. to be doing that. But no, you, you've got to confront it. And there are some mistakes that you've got to watch out for. And, and you know, part of that is um, don't replace debt with debt. And this is a problem a lot of people figure. Okay, I've got a zero percent. Uh, credit card offer. I, I'm just going to put all my other credit cards on that one because that way I'm not paying any interest while I'm solving the problem. I have never seen that work for somebody, yeah. Amy. It's it's shifting things around, right? So you've got yeah. to have that, that, first of all, that big number. And even if it's a scary number, at least it gives you a starting place. But second, yeah. then you need a strategy for how you're going to get this under control. And to your point about your family member, a strategy is not paying the minimum. That is exactly. not that is not cut it. You are literally going to be paying, first of all, thousands and thousands of dollars more to pay off that debt than you ever would. And second, you're never going to climb yourself out. So whether it is cutting back on spending, whether it is uh, looking at the lowest or the, the highest interest level first and then paying that down or mm-hmm. whatever works for you, but figuring out a strategy at the same time, not letting yourself continue to charge, charge more or, or take on more away. debt at the same time. Exactly. Yeah. It's it's kind of like, uh, you know, losing weight. You didn't put on the weight overnight. You're not going to get rid of it overnight. Same with debt. It's going to take some time and it's going to take a shift in your attitude. Put the credit cards away. Well, and I like that actually you brought up the fact of, of losing weight because there's all these pills out there and these easy solutions. Yeah. None of those work for losing weight. The same with debt. There are all these things out there that promise that, you know, it can just, you transfer this or 0% here. There's all kinds of fine print though that actually can make these things far worse. Thanks for listening tonight. We hope you're going to tune in tomorrow. We're talking about mid-year financial checkup, what you got to be doing right now. You've been listening to Simply Money presented by Allworth Financial here on 55KRC, the talk station.